I'm going to invite Mike up. We have a little bit unique service this morning. We have a baby dedication. He's going to lead us through that. All right, good to see you guys. Um, man, I thought we'd never be back in this room, but I just couldn't wait to be in the echoey room again. Hopefully next week we won't be here. Right, Chris? I think so. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure. Um, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you guys. Um, Usher, am I right? Usher. That's the Super Bowl party. That's my Super Bowl party. Um, well, hey, we are in a series on... The Ten Commandments. And last week, we covered, we covered honor your father and mother. And so a lot of churches would have made that week the week we do a baby dedication, right? A lot of churches would have done that, but not this one. We're going to do a baby dedication, a child dedication, and teach on the Sixth Commandment, do not murder. Because <laughs> as it turns out, it's still a fitting day. Because what we are celebrating is life. We are celebrating life. And in particular, it's a privilege today to join Alec and Heather Keparitis as they dedicate their daughter, Hope, Lynn Eden Keparitis, to the Lord. So I'm going to share a few things about what a baby dedication is. This I can hear myself. Can you guys hear me? Or is it, is it good? All right. I'm trying to enunciate well. Um. So in a minute, they, they are going to uh, join, uh, join me up here. But I just want to share a little bit about why, why we do this and, and the meaning behind it. And so we see this as an opportunity, as a time for Alec and for Heather to publicly proclaim their personal commitment to raise their daughter, Hope, in a way that pleases and reflects the Lord's instructions. One of the clearest places in Scripture where we see uh, baby dedication in the Bible is in the Old Testament, uh, Prophet Samuel, when he was an infant. His mother, Hannah, was a devoted follower of the Lord, but for many years she wasn't able to have children. And so she prayed fervently that God would give her a child. And in time, God answered her prayer with, yes. And she named her son Samuel, and she devoted his life to the Lord. Listen to Hannah's, listen to her words of dedication that are found in 1 Samuel. She says, I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him, for now I give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Also in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, we have another famous section that is known as the Shema. The Shema is one of the most ancient prayers uh, for Israel even today. It's an ancient Jewish confession of faith. And in this passage, um, it's the passage that Jesus referenced when he was asked about the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? And we believe the Shema and its instructions to follow the one Lord, our one God, they still very much apply to us today as Christ followers. And it reads this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
talk about them when you walk, when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost of your house or on your city gates. We see, repeat them to your children. And this central instruction from God is primarily for parents seeking to follow the Lord and to raise their children to know and pursue the Lord. We also have a strong principle that's given in Proverbs 22, 6 that directs us parents to train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The Hebrew word train in this passage means to dedicate. So it could read, dedicate a child, dedicate him. And like many other things in life, there's a tension when it comes to raising children in a, in a biblical way. On the, on the one hand, as parents, we must recognize that ultimately our children will go, grow up and make their own choices. We are completely dependent on God for their salvation. And in the end, the final outcome of their lives is between them and the Lord. As parents, we must recognize that our kids have within them the potential to be a daughter or a son, but not just a daughter or son in the Lord, but a, a brother or a sister in the Lord with us. So on the one hand, we recognize salvation is completely dependent upon what God is doing in their life. On the other hand, as parents, we have a very sober responsibility to share the faith of Jesus, share our trust in the Lord and Jesus in our words and our actions to our kids, and to train them as best we know to reflect God's values, His character, His teachings, everything we see in Scripture. And most of all, as Christ followers, we are called to teach our children about Jesus and present to them the gospel in words and concepts and by our lived example. You know, a very special part of Hope's journey and story is that she's adopted. And the same beautiful words and imagery is used of each one of us who has claimed and put on Christ. That we are adopted into God's family. And for any of us who have grown up adopted or grown up with siblings, have one that is adopted, we know that that can be a source of struggle personally. But may Christ himself bring healing to her through her own faith and redeem this word for his glory. And so right now, I want to invite Heather and Alec and Hope and any, yeah, you guys to, to join us. Hi, Hope. Hope and I are becoming friends this year, guys. I don't know if you know this. As they're walking up, uh, she has had for probably the last six months a very approach avoidance approach avoidance with me. She kind of thinks I'm kind of cool from afar, but really S C A R Y when she gets close. Um, hi, Hope. Hi. What? She's learning what you're doing. This microphone. Do you want to say hi? Can you say hi? Can you want to sing Twinkle Twinkle? Your mom will sing. Hello. She loves, Mom loves speaking into a microphone. Okay. Here, here, listen to Dad. Hi, Hope. She's not interested. Um, 
Uh, I've known you guys for, oh boy, more than a decade. And uh, some of you don't know, I've the privilege of working with Heather for almost about that time, um, closing in on that time. And she's been on a sabbatical. She's been on a break. So you've seen them here and there pop in. Um, and we miss you. We're looking forward to having you back. But it has been a joy to be standing here with you. Um, oh, here come the other kids. Um, I perform a lot of weddings in a campus church. And um, years and years ago, I stood up here and watched you guys get married. And now you've got Hope. Hope? Hope? Hi. And uh, I'm going to read a series of questions here to Heather and Alec, asking them to affirm their commitment before their family. Glad you guys are here. Good to see you. And their friends as witnesses before the Lord. And so, Alec and Heather, let your yes be yes today and every day as parents. So, if these questions represent the desire of your hearts in dedicating hope please respond by saying, we do. Do you commit to faithfully share the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ with hope, both by your words and through your actions? We do. Do you commit to training hope in a way that honors and reflects God and his holy word, the Bible? We do. <laughs> do you commit to pray regularly for hope? We do. We do. Do you this day dedicate hope to the Lord, and submit to God's will for her life. We do. Awesome. Now, we believe that as a church body, that we exist to glorify and worship a holy God and preach the good news of His Son to all people, but we are also to be a family together, a loving and supportive uh, encouragement in our relationships with, to, to one another, a new community that that the bonds are so close that we in the Lord are brothers and sisters. So therefore, I would like any members in Cornerstone to respond with, we will, if you are able to agree with this. So as much as you have the opportunity, will you promise to support and encourage Alec and Heather as they seek to follow the Lord and honor Him as they love and instruct and train hope in the years to come? We will. So let's just take a moment and bow our hearts and pray for Alec and for Heather as they dedicate hope to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for the life that you have given in hope. Lord, thank you for Alec and Heather's journey of adoption Lord, would you, as I said before, Lord, would you make that word to be precious to her? Lord, would you strengthen Alec and Heather as they live out your commands faithfully for hope to be able to see and recognize that you are good, that you are God. Lord, we pray for hope. We pray that as she grows that you would bring her to a moment of saving faith in Jesus Christ. God, that she would see her need early on and be able to give her entire life to him to do as he pleases. Lord, would she live a life that honors you first and foremost. 
Lord, would you make it that she does great things in your name? Lord, we also pray that you would call her to faith-filled life and faithfulness for all of her days. Lord, would the foundation begin early? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. We wanted the families and kids to be here with us, but if you, right now, if you're uh, helping out in Kids Church, um, you can go ahead and make your way, and then the kids can be dismissed as well as Kyle comes up to uh, open God's Word and talk about this next commandment. muted it. Classic, classic. I didn't even know this had a mute button. I thought it just had an on-off button. Yeah, all right, well, good morning, everybody. I'm Calm uh, on staff here at, at Cornerstone, as Mike talked about, um, just like the perfect segue going from a, a baby dedication to talking about murder. So that's just classic in our church. Um, we really are, I am just really grateful that everybody's here. Um, we are in the, the middle of this, this series called Boundaries That Bring Blessings. We're talking through the Ten Commandments, and uh, this week uh, we're talking about the Sixth Commandment, do not murder. Um, I think that this one in some ways feels kind of easy. Uh, I think everybody in here would agree uh, that murder is probably not the best thing, um, Especially when trying to build a community. I think that probably, um, probably creates more barriers than it does bridges. And I think if we went on to campus, I think like we'd have a universal. I think, I imagine that if we asked like 100 individuals, I think all 100, unless they were maybe trying to be cute or, or try to start something, I think everybody would probably say, oh, like murder is bad. Why would they say murder is bad? It would probably be some probably variation of like, Oh, like, I think a lot of it would be utilitarian. Like, it doesn't feel right to kill somebody. Um, it's bad. Um, I think we have this moral thing, especially in the West, that, that murder is bad. Um, I think there would just be a lot of other things that people would say we could do other, outside of, of murdering. I think everybody would agree that it is bad. That it doesn't lead to safe, flourishing communities. That it doesn't... Um, lead to connection, that what it does is kind of um, just creates, like I said earlier, just creates barriers in our world. Now, Jesus, uh, in the New Testament, I'll, I'll, I'll um, kind of go to it in a, in a little bit, but he, he kind of bridges the gap, and, and he connects 
murder to anger. And anger, I feel like, maybe is a little bit different uh, view in our, in our um, culture. I, I don't know. I, some people might, might not know what to do with anger. Some people um, might really struggle to um, relate to that emotion. Maybe we relate too much to that emotion. Maybe we have um, very negative views of this. Maybe, maybe there, we have like some, some righteous anger in us. I think whenever we read scripture, I think we see that anger is um, neither positive or negative. It just is. Generally speaking, it, it seems like it's a, it's a secondary emotion. I think everybody in here, to some degree, probably struggles with anger. I feel like in my life right now, anger is probably something I struggle with the most. That anger feels very close um, in my life. Whenever I, I moved here, my wife and I moved here three and a half years ago. I think, right? Three and a half? Dang long time. Um, and I feel like throughout maybe like the last five years, especially on um, the last three and, a, three and a half, I think anger has just been very, it's just at the, at the tip of my fingers. I think anger comes from a lot of things. I think it can come from disappointment. I think it can come from resentment. I think it can come from I think I'm just going to say various things of like unmet expectations. I think it comes from sadness. I think it comes from all this, all these different places. For me, my anger comes from unmet expectations. That God has done something different in my life than I want him to do. I don't know if you guys can relate whenever you think you're going to zig and God makes you zag that I thought my life was going to go this way, and now it's over here. Now, does that mean that, like, I'm just angry all the time about my life and where it's at? No. But I think whenever things in my life start to unravel, whenever things start to maybe add pressure points, is, is that anger is an outlet for me. And anger is my outlet for um, my disappointment. I tell people a lot, I confess this, that um, I do not like expectations. I don't like people having expectations of me, and I don't like vocalizing expectations to other people. Because if they don't meet my expectations or I don't meet their expectations, there's this tension. And I go to anger. I get angry if people don't meet my expectations, and so it's just better for me and my, I think my sin and my flesh to like kind of just press that down and, and um, not vocalize those or to not have expectations, to try and take those away. Because like I said, I think whenever I felt like I had maybe these expectations of God, he went a different way than I wanted. I think in this um, moment, like, or in this, this season, I can take my anger to an unhealthy place. I think I can take my anger um, in an unrighteous way. I believe that there's, there's like appropriate, I believe that there are righteous ways that I can handle my disappointment rather than leading to anger. 
Now, I think whenever we talk about this, like I, I think Lucy can be, um, Lucy is my wife, I think she can be at the, the forefront of where my anger comes out. And, and not, I'm not like a, I don't think I'm a very like physically uh, violent person, but I think I, I can, as soon as, as soon as I can feel this tension coming up, I can just heighten to know like, oh, am I disappointing her? Is she disappointing me? I think talking about um, this baby dedication like, and anger, it feels very connected for me. Lucy, um, we are expecting our, our first child, sorry, first child in three weeks. Um, very exciting, yes, very exciting. Very, very soon, very close. Um, and I do have fear about um, generational sin, that my anger is going to get passed down um, to my kids from, and I think some aspects of, of my anger came from my parents. And I think whenever I interact with them, whenever I interact around them, like, yes, I want to be authentic, I want to be myself, but I think I am worried about that. That, yes, I, I too hope to, that, yes, that my, I want to do everything for my child that I can. I want to provide for them, I want to po- point them towards Jesus. And I know, like, in my flesh um, that I will fail. And so I am worried that, um, that, that my anger can come out in that way. Do you also struggle with anger? I, uh, I had to read this book for seminary. Um, that was called Good and Angry. It was by this, uh, I think he's a counselor, but his name is uh, David Powlison. And he has this quote. It says, in real life, anger is the reaction that incinerates marriages and, and uh, disintegrates families. It energizes gossip and guns down classmates. It divides churches, turns friendships into enmity, and erupts in road rage. It is the stuff of every form of grievance and bitterness. The fact that some of us overreact in less colorful ways does not mean that those who are quiet are not angry. Anger is also the basic DNA of complaining, brooding, irritability, and bickering. The shoes of problem anger are like a pair of open-heeled bathroom slippers. One size really does fit all. The crucial issues in anger touch every one of us. He has this thing like in in chapter 2 of his book, it, it kind of starts off with like, are you an angry person? And essentially, his first word of the chapter is just yes. That like in this thing, it says, despite if we identify as angry, we have anger inside of us. I believe that God wants to meet us in our anger, that God wants to transform us, and that part of one avenue of that can be um, in our anger. I pray that even today that we can see that, that we can repent of the ways in which we have unrighteous anger um, in our lives. Would you pray with me and then um, we'll hop in. Uh, Jesus, um, this morning we come to you. I, I pray that you would meet us here, that, that we can see the ways in which that we fall short, ways in which that you are asking us to be more and more like you. That you even say that, that, that anger is not inherently bad. 
I pray that amongst today is that, that we would not come away feeling shame in our anger, but empowered to repent um, in our unrighteousness. Would you just call all of us to be more like you this morning? Amen. Exodus 20, 13, very quick, very short, very simple, says, you shall not murder. There it is. That's the entirety of the sixth commandment. It's not very long, um, but in Hebrew, in Hebrew is actually even shorter. It's only two words. Uh, it is low, which is just means not. And then I think it is called ratsa. It's R-A-T-S-A-C-H, which just means murder. It seems like an un- obvious, uncontroversial commandment. If there was anything that could go unstated, which we would all as human beings and good neighbors assume to be the case, perhaps it would be this one. That I think we can all just say, yes, I can commit to this one. Surely people from all times, I think, would agree with that as well. And I think in this, like, what, what, is, this, what is this passage, do I believe, I, um, we're going very quick through this, is like, what do I feel like it is saying, what do I feel like it is not? Um, Whenever I was reading, it's like, uh, this is not like talking about self-defense. It is not talking about war in this context. It is not um, talking about um, like capital punishment. It is talking about kind of lashing out. That this word, ratsa, is used not in reference to just killing, but in like kind of like a, a premeditated or... Um, maybe just a, a lack of care. I think it is used, I think it's in Deuteronomy. I, I didn't put it up here, but it, it kind of refers to um, what happens to a person if they are careless and they let their ox bore somebody to death. That like, if that is a common occurrence that this ox gets out and bore somebody, then you have that put on you. So it's like kind of this, the lack of awareness or lack of, of maybe care for your neighbor to, make, to lead you to carelessness. So this one specifically is, like some translations it says, you shall not kill. But whenever I, I was reading things, they said the, the word that really is probably more suited for whenever we translate to English is murder. That it has like a, an action. That it has like a, a sense of like premeditation or it has a sense of um, maybe like a lack of self-control. So if we kind of land on like, okay, murder is bad if we, if we do that. Then it's like, well, who decides whether your life or my life is, is worth that? Why are people innately, inherently worth something? That means if we take that away, that is, that is bad. Well, I believe that God answers that question. In Genesis 9, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Is that that's why... I think us as Christians would say that murder is bad is because we are made in the image of God. That because each of us is made in the image of God, we are inherently worth something. That we have intrinsic value because God says that we do. I believe that that, was, that is like a, what a lot of us would say. Sorry. I'm... Um, only with this big biblical anthropology can the commandment to not be murdered be based on something deeper than just what is good. Only then can it be more than simply good advice on how we care for one another and be something truly rooted in an inalienable right. 
that we have this right. So now I want to hop into what Jesus says. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, kind of goes through, this is like Jesus' sermon. He kind of starts stepping through some things, and he kind of goes this, you have heard it said, and then follows up, but I say to you this. So you've heard this, this is what I want you to do, or this is what I think this means. And one of these is about the Sixth Commandment, and it says, you have heard that it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is not denying that murder is wrong and makes you liable to judgment. But he is saying just because you stop short of murder does not make you necessarily innocent. Jesus is condemning the whole family tree. He's condemning all that part of anger. Sinful anger by itself is condemned. This anger can give birth to a lot of things. It can get um, to insults. It It gives birth, sorry, to simple words, insults, conflict, conflict with roommates, conflict with spouses, conflict online. It makes us start thinking things about people around us. I believe that, yes, if we don't get this anger in check, I do believe that it it can turn into violence. I feel like there are aspects of our culture that, that celebrate violence. I think we also have a large outcry against violence. I don't know that our culture necessarily has the right, has all the right tools to navigate what is, what do we do with this anger that whenever it does turn to violence. I don't think that what this passage is saying, I don't think what Jesus is saying means that anger is just as bad as murder. I just think it means that sinful anger is worse than maybe we think. I think that anger, and I think in this anger, like in our sinful anger, I believe um, that both of those are, are condemning. But I don't know if we see our anger and murder as even. I think we can pinpoint different examples of anger, like in our culture and in ourselves all over the place. I think David, uh, I'm going to quote David Pallison again from this book, but, but I think he defines anger in a very helpful way. What common thread runs through every form of anger, whether good or bad? At its core, anger is very simple. It expresses, I'm against that. It's an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, size it up, and say, that matters, and it's not right. I believe we see this in Scripture. I believe we see God set his will against things that are wrong, against things that are unjust, against things that are against God. Jesus, in the temple, whenever um, people are using the temple for their own gain, that they are, they've turned it, he, he calls it a brood of vipers, a den of thieves, that they are stealing from people, that they've kind of set up this marketplace, like in the temple, to where you have to go in, you have to spend extra money just to go and then make sacrifices in the temple, that Jesus was filled with anger. 
Now, I believe that Jesus is filled with a righteous anger. They, they, Mike was talking to me about how, um, I can't remember what the word is, but, but he is, he's like essentially he's fastening a whip and that this takes like a long time, that he made a whip. And so that Jesus' anger led him to, to making a whip and spent, I, I don't know how fast it is to make a whip, but it doesn't seem like a very quick process. Um, and that, that, that anger is just, is just building. What is he angry about? He's angry against people creating an extra barrier between them and God, that he wants to remove these barriers, that he wants to bring people to God. So I think we see this is that, that anger is not bad, that, that even whenever it says that, and uh, David Pelson's thing is like, I'm against that, that we are against something, that there is righteous anger, that, that, that the um, social injustices that, are, that happen in our country every day is like, it is okay to have anger against that. Whenever we see um, families broken up by divorce, that that leads us to anger is like, yes, we want something better. That anger, that being set against something is not inherently bad. So it's like, how, how do I know if my anger is unrighteous? And then what, what do I do with this anger? How, how, do I, how do I repent of this? Uh, this passage has been just very, um, I think just very influential to me in my life. And, and it's in the book of Jonah. And as God approaches this bitter prophet Jonah, Jonah has been sent to, to this land of Nineveh to, to minister to the Ninevites. And Jonah is displeased about this. Jonah does not like the Ninevites. So much so that he actually flees Nineveh on a ship, gets tossed off his boat, gets swallowed up by a whale or something, large fish, gets brought back, gets spit up on shore. God's like, no, you are, you are going to this place. And in Jonah 4, God meets Jonah and says this, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Which feels like a very bizarre question. Do you do well to be angry? I feel like I've had God say this to me in my quiet times. Kyle, do you do well to be angry? Is this, is this any beneficial to be angry? I think another way we can ask this is God is asking him, do you do well to be against that? Do you do well to be against the Ninevites, that, that you have set yourself apart from them, that, that you have led to this judgment, that, that you are wanting to lash out in your anger, that they are not deserving of a relationship with God, and so I'm going to flee. I'm going to go the other way. That's how I think that we can maybe hear about, like, is my, is my anger unrighteous? Do you do well to be against that? I think in the, in the case of, of Jonah, that was a, a resounding no. But I believe, like, whenever you're in those moments, it's a yes. Like, we feel that we are entitled to that resentment. Of course I'm right to be angry. Of course I'm, of course I'm right. Whenever God, God, whenever God is doing something different in my life and I can turn to anger, of course in my mind is like, no, God, you aren't doing what I asked you to do. You aren't holding up your end of the bargain. You aren't holding up your end of the deal that I, that my life would turn out in X, Y, or Z. And so my anger can, yeah, be set towards other people. It can be set towards God. It can be that. 
Now, I've kind of like adapted like these questions that I think that we can ask ourselves in, um, this, in these moments. I think the first one is, is what is true? I think we've been talking about in Corner this past week even, what do we do with Scripture? What do we do with it? And, it, and, and talking about going to Scripture, finding out that, that not just talking um, to people about what is my life supposed to be about, but, but what, is that, what does Scripture actually have to say about my life? Whenever I think we go and set apart this, it's like, man, my roommate did X, Y, or Z to me, and I'm incredibly angry. If we go and sit with the Lord, what is true in that moment? Is that true? Does that take away whatever X, Y, or Z did to you? Is like, no, but what is our heart posture in that moment? The next one is, is how do I turn to God for help? That in those moments, whenever we can feel like this anger may be welling up, is like, what, what's it look like to turn towards God and ask for help? For ask for help in what is true. And then it's, how can I respond constructively? And then the last one is, is what are the consequences of faith and obedience? That I believe that this can be a pathway to repentance. I believe that this is a way that which we can healthily respond to people, to things around us. Even if we don't ever go and interact with that person, even if we don't talk to that person, I, I could talk a lot about. I don't have enough time to talk about it today, but like, man, like, I could have gone away as like reconciliation, that God is calling us to reconcile. That doesn't mean um, that everything is fixed, but he, he he calls us to reconciliation. What are the consequences of faith and obedience? What happens whenever we take this better path? What can God do? What, what ways in which can God meet with us? Personally, in my own life, what are, what are the consequences of this? Is like a deeper relationship with God. I have this, this love-hate relationship with, with dreaming with the Lord um, because God has not always come through in my dreams. And yet God is continually calling me to continue dreaming with him. That's saying, yes, Kyle, like this, this situation didn't turn out the way that you wanted, but that does not mean that this one will not. What it does, it, it starts to, to redirect my gaze, not to what I want, but, but to what God wants. And starts to maybe um, overlap those two things. I think that's what you and I were talking about this morning, Chaz, is like, Man, like, how do, we, how do we take what I want and what God wants, and, and how do we make that one? That whenever we, are, whenever we are far apart, I believe that these different things, that that's where, man, resentment, sadness, frustration, disappointment can lead to anger. I like the way that that, um, that, that quote at the beginning ended. It said, the crucial issues in anger touch every one of us. That every person in this room has been touched by anger in some way. That we've had our lives redirected because of anger. We've all been scarred by this. Even if we aren't lashing out in anger to those around us, is that we have the wounds of anger in our lives. From people said, done, etc.
we go back to even just one of the first... So outside of the garden, the first family is we have Cain and Abel. We have Cain kills Abel. And so we have this, this family that is broken. We have this, this world that is broken. We have these, these relationships that are broken and that it, it severs family. That, that one of them is, is left to wander the desert for the rest of his life and the other one is obviously no longer with us. That we have this pain, we have this, this brokenness. I believe that Jesus wants to intercede in that story. That Jesus wants to intercede in your pain. That Jesus wants to intercede in your life. I think we see that in Hebrews 12, and it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That the cross is the ultimate repair. That the cross is big enough to save us. That despite the destruction around us, despite um, the anger and the murder and like all of these things that are happening around us is that God interceding in there. That yes, the blood of Abel leads to destruction that leads to, to harm and hurt is Jesus is better. That the same way that, that that blood is insufficient, that Jesus' blood is sufficient. That it's better, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I hope that is like at least encouragement to us today that there is something better, that Jesus can come and redeem where we are. That whenever we can take these frustrations to God, that whenever we can go and we can seek God and like what is true, that we would be just met with Jesus' truth. That was my prayer even coming in this morning. That's my prayer even for my own life is that whenever I, I can feel those welling up, that, that, that is pointing to like just a deeper pain in my life, that this anger is just speaking to a deeper pain, that Jesus is wanting to come and intercede in my life on behalf. Would that be true for all of us today? Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Jesus, um, yeah, we just thank you for an, another opportunity to come and, and worship you together. I, I pray that we would feel hope today. I pray that we would feel hopeful that you can and want to intercede in our life and to heal our pain. That whenever we um, can feel us wanting to run to something else, that, that we would actually just run to you, Lord. Amen.